We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. This thing on. See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills Podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And we are here talking Week 8 preview, the Miami Dolphins versus the Buffalo Bills. Your time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard, on Halloween afternoon. The place, Ralph Wilson Stadium. The weather, it's going to be cloudy, windy, with a more than 50% chance of rain. The line in the game is the Bills are 13.5-point favorites as of today. The crew is going to be Sean Smith, who... Not gonna lie, it's a bland name. I, I, I feel like I don't have any. You can't have animosity towards a Sean Smith, can you? Although that's not true. I used maybe. To work, how does he? How do you spell Sean? I don't know. I used to work with a Sean Smith who was bald, like Mister Clean Bald, but also wore like big earrings, like almost like he was trying to look like a genie, but the tiniest little glasses you've ever seen. And I, I, I don't know why, but it, it, like John Lennon glasses. Yeah. And I don't know why, but that guy, like, that's a guy I wanted to put in a headlock constantly. So maybe you can be mad at someone with a super bland name like that. And on the call, CBS's Andrew Catalan and James Lofton. Well, how, how is that crew in terms of the overall quality? Well, we, if you watch Bill's preseason games, Andrew Catalan does all of her preseason games. So he's a familiar voice. Okay. It'll be nice to have uh, Lofton up here in town. Here's, here's the thing that's weird to me. Halloween football. 
Right. Like, this is an odd scenario. First of all, the weather is in typical Buffalo October fashion. It's going to suck. Like, Chris, you've experienced this firsthand in your lifetime here, and I'm sure half the people at least listening to this podcast, you all know. October 31st here in Buffalo can be almost anything. I remember that there were years where I would go trick-or-treating as a child and you would get, there would be years that you would be trick-or-treating and you could do it in shorts. Then there were some years where it would snow. And you were, I mean, it happened one year. My mom literally took us to go trick-or-treating, me and my two brothers. They, They were both tiny children at the time. We get a flat tire and we end up having to walk a couple miles, this is pre-cell phones, to my aunt's house so that she could get, like, hey, she could get help, call AAA. And we had to walk, like, two miles as, like, 10-year-old kids in the snow (laughs) in Halloween costumes. It was ridiculous. I hated every second of it. So I guess, Chris, should I consider myself lucky that it's just going to rain? Yeah. I mean, what's your experience been with Halloween here in Buffalo over the course of your life? Uh, I don't really have any memories of uh, trick-or-treating around here because we moved when I was uh, my ninth. Nine years old would, would have been my last trick-or-treating here in oh, Buffalo. So I, I know, it's, I know it's, it's snowed before while trick-or-treating. I, I vaguely remember that happening here, but... I mean, the, my best Halloween story is the Toronto-Washington game, which was, I think, the day before Halloween. And I figured, oh, I bet people will dress up at the bar. So I just wore a banana suit and threw my T.O. jersey on over it, went to the bar, and got wasted. Saw no one else in the <laughs> bar dressed up at all. <laughs> that's, and that's what you deserve because you're an adult dressing up for this holiday. There, there comes a certain age where if you're not going to a specific destination for a Halloween party, you know, don't, don't dress up. I mean, I've never attended a football game on Halloween. And I don't know if there's any special rules of conduct or any you know codes of conduct that are supposed to be involved here. But be warned. Mark has made it clear that anyone who shows up at our tailgate on Sunday with a costume on will be handed a bologna and government cheese sandwich on knockoff Wonder Bread and promptly asked to leave. Meanwhile, for everybody else, I mean, I don't know. What, what, trick-or-treat style tailgating? I mean, maybe I'll find something here. Maybe maybe I'll mini shots. Like, what can the Rock Pile Report tailgate hand out that would be fitting of a holiday like Halloween? I don't think I've ever attended a football game on the day. I think what's more important is after the game, because you now have a child, and I don't know if he's trick-or-treating, but you, after a Bills game, having to go trick-or-treating with your son... Oh, man. Yeah, guys, tune in next week for our recap episode for all the gory details of that nonsense. And make sure you're following us over at Rockpile Report. I don't know if it's mini shots. I don't know what we're going to be giving away, but I think there's a bit here that has some legs. We'll come up with something for this weekend's tailgate. But ahead of this, I mean, I think that that's almost more exciting than this football game. Because when you look at it, I mean... Let's take a heat check here of the 1-6 in six Dolphins. Are you finally ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. The excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on the action with your favorite teams and players from the NFL, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, 
college football, and more. Right now at WinBet, you can find great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport. WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So from the last time, Chris, that we got together to do one of these preview shows for a game against the Miami Dolphins, our franchise's fortunes couldn't have diverged more dramatically. I mean, if you remember, even though it feels like forever ago... Week two? The Dolphins were 1-0 off a, a dramatic late game. You know, they forced their turnover to save the game in New England. They're riding high off that, taking on the 0-1 Bills, who just lost a heartbreaker at home to open the season... There was a lot of confidence among the Miami fan base. I mean, I almost want to call it swagger. And a genuine belief that the contest against the Bills was going to be their proving grounds that the Dolphins' offseason moves would bear fruit. The result of that game was a disaster, one that the Dolphins franchise to this point still hasn't recovered from. They're currently last place in the AFC East for the first time in what feels like forever. I mean, I can't remember the Jets being ahead of... It's been so long since the Jets were relevant. Their head coach and GM are on the hot seat. Their franchise quarterback-to-be is being put through the ringer by a manic fan base that's cannibalizing itself in a way I've never seen before. And here to talk to us about all of this is Mr. Elfartiaga from the Three Arts Per Carry podcast. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing uh, better than than the franchise I'm here to talk about. I'll tell you that. <laughs> You'd almost have to be at this point. <laughs> you would almost have to be. Folks, he is the host of the Three Yards Per Carry podcast. He's a cigar aficionado, a long-suffering Dolphins fan. I, what is your post-game ritual? Everybody has a couple of them. Like, when you're watching these Dolphins and, you know, six-game losing streak, when all of this is going on, you're watching the game, but you're doing your best. Because I, 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 I've come to know you. you. You seem like a pretty pragmatic person. You're probably pretty emotionally on a you know even keel throughout the course of a football game, just trying to make observations, trying to watch your football team and enjoy it. What do you do in the aftermath of some of these games? You know, I drink my beer, I smoke my cigars, smoke one per half usually. Sometimes I'll, I'll just I'll wait to halftime. I'll start one up at halftime. 
But after the game, I'll I'll grab a bite and then I go on to Twitter for for a stroll and maybe throw two or three tweets out, <laughs> and then I watch the rest of the league play. You know, and then you know I, I don't I don't listen to any of the press conferences, any of that stuff, unless it's you know it's, unless it's a it's a big win. You know, the, the following morning I have time to listen to all the press conferences and then rewatch the game. To, to see, you know, what I want to see for the game. And until, you know, Game Pass still does does not give us an All-22 option, you know, I don't have to do much of, you know, more All-22 work than I used to do. So now I just rewatch the game and then watch it in spurts. See, like, Chris, that's, it's, you'd almost have to do that, right? Like, you'd almost have to separate yourself and just go, hey, listen, I'll put this on. I mean, that's what I have to do. I, I look at guys like the Cover One crew who go on air immediately after the game. Yeah, I don't know how anybody does that. do a live show. Not even like, hey, we're going to record a podcast that can be edited. You know, if Drew throws a bottle, happens to fall down off of his chair once or twice. <laughs> like, there's no... That can all be edited out. These, these lunatics go on a live stream. We tried to record a podcast once, and that was an epic disaster. Thanks to EJ Manuel and the London Jacksonville game, but I feel like that kind of a reaction would be what anybody trying to do a podcast in the immediate aftermath of any of these Dolphins games would be like. Especially this last one, I watched the end of that game myself. You know, I was having a bye week. I'm just kind of trolling. I hate watched the Chiefs, and then that got boring. <clears throat> I watched the end of the Bengals game, and I said, "Okay, this is this is exciting." Right up until it wasn't. And then I'm like, wait a minute, the Dolphins might actually pull this thing off. So I switch over and I watched you guys lose in just what can only be described as excruciating fashion. Does a loss like that take a little bit of wind out of your sails, even for as pragmatic as you are? Uh, that one was that one was particularly bad because it's two weeks in a row where your quarterback coming off of an injury who you want to see play well, plays well. Leaves the field with the lead and with some late game heroics, and your defense goes goes about just giving it up. and And it's not because they were in the bad deep, correct call up, and actually put Xavier Howard on Kyle Pitts for one of those plays where they got twenty eight yards to set up the the game winning field goal. So you know it was just one of those things like this seems like inevitable. Like there's nothing they can do to avoid losing this game. And you're just basically hoping, you know, we need like a a ball to hit a helmet or a bad snap or something because they're going to find a way. There's just too much time on the clock. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, when you're looking at it and you say, okay, two has scored way too fast. You know, you know you have issues and you've had issues closing out games this season. So, yeah, it just felt inevitable. It's... You're almost numb to it at this point. But at one and six, you know, there's no more pressure, you know. Well, and I guess that's where we over. It's about evaluation now. And that's what I was going to say is that's where we kind of start this conversation is because at this point, it's about evaluation. And it's about looking at who's accomplishing what. And the big, the 800-pound gorilla in the room seems to be revolving around the quarterback position. And yet... It's crazy to me because I look at it as an outsider like this. You know, the Tua and Deshaun Watson conversation, it's just bananas. I mean, when I look at Tua Tagovailoa in 2021, I just, Chris, I don't know why I can't say his name. 
I feel like when he was playing for Alabama, I used to be able to say it. No, you've never been able to say his name. Okay. At least I feel better about that. I know that it's not my fandom getting in the way of my brain, just not a lot, just forcing me to misspeak. In 2021, with him on the field, you guys have scored 17, 20, and 28 points. 21 point per game average, which would get you guys in about the top 20 of the NFL. Uh, he's got ratings of 79, 95, and in this game, a 109.5. He's got seven touchdowns and four interceptions. I mean, what, what, <laughs> what am I missing here? Just someone who has no emotion in the game about what happens to your quarterback position. What am I missing here that people want to see more of? Uh, you're not missing anything, but I think the tide has turned a little bit this past week. Because all the local newspapers, and including our podcast, have run these polls. And I even ran one on OnlyFans, which is our, our private Patreon. I love that. And <laughs> are ridiculous. Like, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, Sun Sentinel ran a poll. Do you want Deshaun Watson or do you want to remain with Tua? Tua won that poll by, I think he had 71%. We ran a poll that got 7,000 respondents on our Twitter account. And it was like 72% in favor of Tua. And then uh, the Palm Beach Post did one that had 12,000 people respond to it. And it was 76% in favor of Tua. And in the OnlyFans, our private chat in favor of Tua. So it could mean two, it could mean one of two things. Or maybe it could mean both things. It could mean that Tua has been playing pretty well this season and playing better as of late and coming off a pretty damn good game where he was essentially trying to do everything by himself. And the fan base is not too excited about trading for a sex offender and probably having to trade three first-round picks for him. No, and that's, and that's, I guess, it. Like, there's this really damning thing that comes out when, it, when you start framing the conversation like that. And Chris Kaufman, on your podcast this week, hit the nail on the head. I, he really did. Folks, I, I mean, I'm not going to... I'm not going to try to butcher the man's point. He does a really articulate job of laying this all out. Go check it out for yourselves. Uh, three yards per carry. It's their kind of recap episode of the episode of the game. It starts with a conversation on this topic that these three guys, Simon Clancy, Chris Kaufman, and Elf, do a great job of parsing through. I listened to it today, and it just... I felt like I had to start the conversation with it because I want you guys to understand the dynamics here and what you're hearing on the news and what you're seeing on Twitter. It's not reality in terms of the fan base, in terms of what people want. It's a really interesting conversation. Go check out their latest podcast because they have a really in-depth conversation on it that I think I know it's important. I know I loved listening to it. Hopefully you guys get the same out of it that I did. Now, in terms of two in these numbers that he's had, one of the things I've taken away from this in terms of the passing that he's done, he's put up great numbers, but the tight ends and the running backs really are pacing your offensive attack. Both of the positions lead the team in targets. You've got Jalen Waddell, who is kind of the focal point. Mike Gesicki's there. You've got Miles Gaskin at running back, and then it's a smattering of other tight ends, but Everyone else on the roster seems to just kind of be taking a back seat at this point. I mean, outside of Waddle's three touchdown catches, no other wide receiver on the roster has more than one. And at the same time, three different tight ends have caught touchdown passes this season. So he's finding a way to spread the ball around 
just not to his wide receiver core. What do you make of that? Everything that they said before the season about these guys in the wide receiver core has been true. Tua has yet to play a game with Devontae Parker, Will Fuller, and Jalen Waddle. Even the Bills game, if you remember, uh, everybody was slated to play. That's yep. why I told you, you know, I'm feeling a, this is the first time this team is healthy in two years. Everybody's healthy. And then all of a sudden what happened, uh, Will Fuller went AWOL for two days. And then he was not available for the Bills game. Nobody knows. Nobody to this day still knows why he did not play in the Bills game. Well, no, and I think there's evidence of that when you look at this. I mean, three of Miami's wide receivers, Fuller, Wilson, and uh, Williams, have just single-digit first-down receptions, which the Bills have like three or four different players who all have that. And I think that speaks to this lack of chemistry and playing time together. That's it, It's like there's little wrinkles to this when people say, oh, well, Tua hasn't been this and Tua hasn't been that. And I know people listening to this podcast will go, there goes Drew again. He loves his Alabama players. Now, this is about trying to be is I don't want to say impartial, but I'm trying to be a realist about this. You're talking about a guy who didn't play a full season last year, came in here this year and hasn't played a full season with his current wide receivers. And you're seeing that. So what he's doing is he's saying, look, I know where my best matchups are, and it's probably tight ends in space and my running backs in the flat and in the soft spots in the zone in the middle of the field. That's where the Dolphins offense has kind of been making its bread and butter lately. Now, that's a problem, I think, when it comes to attacking a Buffalo Bills off a defense that's kind of built to take that away from teams. What do you what do you think the game plan is going to be for Miami in this game? I mean, do you think they're just going to, for the sake of evaluation, just let Tua go out there and orchestrate the same running back tight end heavy approach that he's been utilizing? Or do you think that this is a game where they're going to try to get more out of that wide receiver core? Well, they got to keep using those scissor concepts that, that have been working for him the last couple of weeks. But against the Bills, I think they, they have to get the ball out uh, up to the flats to their, to their running backs because it send, tends to open up everything else. Now, here's the thing. We don't know who's available outside as a boundary wide receiver because Devonta Parker's been out for the last couple of weeks. Will Fuller is likely not to play again <laughs> because he's on IR, although he's slated to come back from IR this week. But Brian Flores says, oh, we don't know. Yeah, he's, he's slated to come back, but we don't think he's playing. So he said that on a Monday. So if he says that on a Monday, I don't see how he plays on a Sunday. And then you have Preston Williams, who all of a sudden is just dropping everything and is getting screamed at in, in real time by his head coach on the <laughs> sideline after he drops yet another first down against the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Chris Kaufman did a, a study, and he went through all the film, and he said that 38 of the 40 passes that Tua made against the Atlanta Falcons hit receivers in their hands. The only two that didn't are the two interceptions. So he was really, really accurate. I think against Buffalo, they expect to win or they're in a division chase anymore. This is about evaluation going forward and seeing what you have in your young quarterback. Uh, last year, you know, the whole team was a dud in week 17. And this year, the team was short-circuited after five plays and then completely dominated. So... You know, they really don't have much to, to lose. So just go out there and play an aggressive game plan and, you know, just, just see what you have. See, what concerns me about that idea is just the state of the offensive line. I mean, I look at this, and over the last few weeks, it's one of those things where you say, okay, things were shaky on the offensive line to start. 
they'll figure it out as they go. They'll like, I mean, I feel like the Dolphins went through a similar process last year where out of the gate things were dicey, but they got better as the year went on. They kind of identified Solomon Kindley as a guy that they liked. And they, you know, put in, I think it was Robert Hunt, who they'd said, hey, this is a guy who he can step in and he can fill in some spots. And next thing you know, their offensive line starts to come together. And this year's been the opposite. It's been the opposite in every facet, obviously, but their offensive line's gotten worse. What's your level of concern? Our front seven coming off a loss in a week where we didn't, a game where we didn't get a lot of pressure, a game where our defense kind of got it handed to us for the second half of that football game. They're going to come out here and maybe try to recreate some of what they did in week two. How adept is this squad at handling that at this point? Well, they're 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 getting rid of it at two point four seconds, which is slightly faster than what they were doing a little bit earlier. Uh, Liam Eikenberg now is cemented as left tackle. They kind of found something with Austin Reader at center. He just he he just had a really good game against the Falcons, replacing Michael Dieter, who's on IR. Uh, Robert Hunt also played well. They still have Austin Jackson, who's a disaster, and Jesse Davis, who is also a disaster. I don't know if you're aware, but Austin Jackson managed to even have a bad play on special teams this past week because he allowed a free rusher to come in and block a field goal in the first half, which essentially cost us the game if you think about it because then Atlanta would have been you know, tying it with no time left and forcing overtime instead of beating us. So, you know, Austin Jackson remains a problem. The thing that has changed is that there is no more Jacoby Brissett and Tua has been pretty good at mitigating some of that pressure with not only his scrambling ability, but his ability to step up into the pocket. And what they're doing is they're giving him ample opportunity to check it down if he has to. But a lot of the concepts that they're running are one and two route concepts that is keeping their best players involved consistently, meaning yeah. Mike Gusecki and Jalen Waddle. And he's he's feasted on that, really, the last two weeks. No, I mean, you can see it. Uh, ben Baldwin, the computer cowboy over on Twitter, he's constantly putting out X and Y axis graphs of random football statistics. But it's interesting stuff. He recently put out a chart that compared sack percentage to offensive line performance along an X, Y axis. <laughs> And when, I mean, obviously, I, my takeaway was that, first of all, uh, Justin Fields is getting decent performance in terms of pass protection from his offensive line, but he is almost 7% higher than anybody else in the NFL in terms of sack percentage, which you'd almost expect from a rookie. But when you look at Josh Allen, he's in the lower left-hand corner, which means his offensive line isn't giving him any much help, but he doesn't get sacked often, usually because he can mitigate that. One of the things I find interesting is that Tua Tagovailoa, who doesn't have any of Josh Allen's athleticism in terms of his ability to roam around the field, get out of the pocket, and make plays on the run, he's right there next to Josh Allen in that category, which tells me that he's not getting sacked often when he's back there, usually because of that quick release, which I find really interesting, and I think it's something that they're probably going to lean on in this game. I mean, I think maybe they've learned their lesson from, from the last game, and also, I just gotta. I mean, isn't there a highway somewhere where you guys can just drop Austin, like uh, d- d- drop uh, what's Austin Jackson off? Like, can't you just drop him off somewhere on a highway? Or like, it's one of those things. When I when I started working at McDonald's in high school, they I was bad. 
I was slow. I couldn't figure out what I was doing, how to make sandwiches quick enough. So there was a day where we got two travel buses. I worked on the thruway. We got two travel buses at the same time. So you've got 80 people standing in line for burgers. And they told me to go down to the stock room and find turkey sandwich wraps. I was gone for almost a half hour. Because there were no turkey sandwich wraps. Those don't exist. But they got rid of me, and while I was gone, they were able to clear the lunch rush and get out of the hole that they were in. I feel like Austin, isn't there a place you guys can send him like that? I don't know. I think the, the where they need good. He's just not an NFL player anymore. I don't know. I don't know what's happened with him, but he's, you know, it's it's a disaster. And each week, it's something new that he that he does to hurt the team even further. And I don't know what what it's going to be this week. Hopefully, it's not getting to a hit. That's another thing on on Tua's part. He has to he has to start sliding again. He had a pretty uh, you know pretty good play against Atlanta. I don't know if you saw it. Where you know he does have the the, the rough you know the, the the ribs that he's coming off of the the fractured ribs, but he ran over a, an Atlanta safety, knocked them out of the game, and then got an extra six yards to get a first down on third and twelve. So you know it's been exciting watching him the last couple of weeks, but he's going to have to play a little bit more. I would say I don't, I don't want to call it careful because careful just won't cut it against the Bills to be competitive. But smarter, I think, is the right word. And then on defense, when I look at your team, I mean, early early in the offseason, you laid out how the backbone of this defense was its secondary. When we had these conversations before the season started, before our last game, and that showed in some areas of our first matchup. Xavier Howard had a strong game. Your defense forced a pair of turnovers. Ultimately, you guys held our offense in relative check by comparison to the opportunities we probably should have had, even though the game was, a, yeah, what was it, Chris, 30 or 35? I don't even remember. I know we shut you guys out. But a, since then, that dynamic has really faded. And on film, with the statistics, you can see it all that some of your best players on defense are taking the absolute beating right now. I mean, Xavier Howard, you said it at the beginning. They made the right call putting Xavier Howard on uh, Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts just makes an epic play to get them in field goal range and keep them there at the end of that game that you guys were right there to hang on and win. He led the NFL in interceptions in 2020 and secured a, an extension. A renegotiation of his contract based on that play. Now he's allowed five touchdowns in coverage through just seven weeks, and he has just one pick. He's regressed painfully. I mean, the quarterbacks leading your the cornerbacks leading your team in snaps. Jones, Howard, and Needham are allowing more than sixty percent of their passes to get completed, and all of your linebackers are giving up ten or more yards per reception. Usually this is where I would dissect, like, here's where you would attack this specific unit because they're a liability. But there isn't a singular player. I mean, even Javon Holland had a kind of a bad game against the Falcons. I mean, Matt Ryan did have a great game. He really did. That was vintage Matt Ryan. But I don't know, man. Like, what what happened here? How did everybody regress so painfully? Um, I don't know, but they have. Uh, by the way, Xavier Howard has the second interception. He got he got one against Atlanta. Uh, so you know, and against Atlanta, he to be fair, he only gave up one catch, but that one catch was the twenty eight yarder to Kyle Pitts. He was also part of a blown coverage that nobody seems to know either he 
or Javon Holland blew the coverage, obviously he's going to blame Javon Holland. <laughs> but yeah, obviously he, you know, you last year to just two this don't start it off well, but he's been battling injuries for most of the season. They added talent to a defense that was supposedly pretty good. And the only guys you can really point to on that entire defense that you can say he's gotten better is Christian Wilkins. And the only reason Christian Wilkins has gotten better is because he has like seven quarterback hits and he has a couple of sacks when he's always been a guy who's facilitated other guys to get sacks. So, yeah, the whole defense has completely regressed. And they're they're playing so many guys, trying to find some, some type of different combinations that I think they're losing sight of, of what they they did last year, which was try to play their best players as many snaps as they could. And what has been key to the whole defense is Jerome Baker, a guy who we always considered to be a pretty good player who's been here for a while. He's just had a terrible season. And now he's a game-time decision against Buffalo because he got injured early in the, in the Atlanta game, but he wasn't very good when he was in there. And then before – so – this is a guy who's completely regressed, who's supposed to be the captain of the defense, supposed to be one of the better players on the defense. So it's been part scheme because they're playing a lot more zone than they, than I'm used to seeing them play. They're not blitzing as much. And then they're using way too many players, in my opinion. Jalen Phillips starts coming on, and all of a sudden they start cutting his snaps to try to play Sam Egovon a little bit more to try to get some pass rush because they're afraid to blitz Matt Ryan. All of a sudden, they're catering to their opponents, and they're they're forgetting the type of defense that they were last year. So it's it's mostly coaching, I would say, but the players bear you know they they bear a lot of blame. See, and year. that's where this whole game becomes more of a philosophical question than an X's and O's question, because across the board, the Bills seem to have the pieces to take you guys apart. I mean, it's just I'll call a spade a spade. Philosophically, when I look at this football game, though. The, first of all, I, I think about it like this. The Bill Belichick coaching tree has produced bushels of poison fruit. Like it really has. And a lot of teams have taken the bait. The Dolphins, to me, feel like they're on the receiving end of that right now. Because you have a coach who came in, said all the right things, brought in his guys, did a lot of things the right way, as, as far as everyone thought. But now that it matters and it's like, okay, this is where you need coaching. This is where you have to have sound decision-making. This is where you need somebody who's willing to stay the course, even if something's not working because they have a vision for what they want their football team to be. I mean, you can it's just not happening. And you can have the chicken and egg argument of whether it's the GM Greer not getting good enough players, whether it's Flores not developing those players. You can go around and around. All day about that. I mean, I'll leave that to Dolphins Twitter. But the fact is, every single loss that comes this season, there's pressure mounting on both of them. Now, bad football teams reach a point where X's and O's don't matter anymore. (laughs) I feel like you guys are there. And so now I look at, at the same time, bad football teams can still be dangerous. Go talk to Sean McVay this weekend about how he almost lost to the winless Lions because that team came out and played with no fear. They said, fuck it, we don't care. Yeah, we're going to go for a first half onside kick. Why? Because we don't care. We have no wins. (laughs) We're going to trick punt. We're going to do all kinds of things that we haven't done that no one, maybe no one in their right mind would do except for a team that has nothing to lose. 
And yet I'm not getting that vibe from your coaching staff, even though like like the, the kitchen sink attack just doesn't seem to be their style because it seems like they still believe that there's something here to to your point. They don't they seem to have lost what they were doing the last two years. And yet they're trying to stay the course. They have a plan. It's just the plan is different and it's changed from what made them successful. I mean, your head coach is a defensive guy, and it's supposed to be the reason he's qualified to run an NFL football team. That unit has been underperforming badly. At this point in his career, a divisional contest against the division leader, what does a game like this weigh in terms of his future and maybe even the future of your GM? Oh, I think it weighs a lot. I think this is this is one of those games where they – they point to, and and it's not it's not that they necessarily expect to win, because even this year, at that point you're expecting to win because you're one and zero and it's early in the season, but you kind of know what the history has been, and you it's whispered but it's not said aloud that you're not supposed to get blown out anymore after you get everything that you want for three years, right? You're supposed to be a little bit more competitive. So I think it's the same thing. I think, yeah, they have a couple of injuries, no, nothing really, really major. You really can't expect Will Fuller or Devontae Parker to, to perform nowadays because they, they're never, they never play, really. So, so, so who cares if they're there or they're not? So if whatever you get as far as health, you got to take that, and then you got to improve upon your performances the last three years against this team because they haven't been good. So they're expected to be competitive, and if they're not, then I, I think that that's yet another strike against this coaching staff and the GM, Chris Greer. Uh, and it's rumored that they're going to be brought back no matter what. Okay? <laughs> that's the rumor. The rumor is that they're going to be brought back no matter what for one more season. All right? I say, you know, they have enough to replace at least one of them which with Marvin Allen because I don't know. If you, I think you, you remember Marvin Allen. He was in – in the bills for a, a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, he had offers to go elsewhere to be a general manager. And we actually paid him more money to stay as a deputy here or to sign on as a deputy. I think that he's, he was brought in as maybe Brian Flores's guy, or maybe the GM break that whole process and get rid of Greer and just put Marvin Allen in. So yeah, this game has zero implications really for either team. I would say. There's no really real implications. You go one and seven, who cares? Even if the Bills lose it, I think the Bills are still in that trajectory of, although Tennessee now is probably an issue, the Bills are still in that that number one seed trajectory, I would say, because they yeah. have a lot of wins coming to them inside the division. Yeah, we talked about it earlier this week. It's, uh, it's a real shit place to be, but I'll tell you what. Hopefully for both of our, I, I, I would love to see the Buffalo Bills put Dolphins fans out of their misery for with one of these guys with a resounding win. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't come down to. Hopefully it's not a major bloodletting. Hopefully this isn't Patriots Jets. This isn't division on division crime. But if it is, just know that we love you, and we'll see you back for the AFC East roundup next week. Afterwards, until then, where can people go to find your recap podcast this week? That, again, I'm telling anybody out there who thinks they have an opinion on Tua to go listen to the show because I think it might change things for you. Where can they find that and where can they find you on social, Alf? 
you can find us at on Twitter, the number three yards per carry. You can get our, our podcast anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere. You'll find us. Alfar Tiaga, you can go find him on Twitter at Nate Geary Sports. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. At, at, Listen, at, that whole thing, the <laughs> fact that him and Elf go at each other and we get dragged into it every time. I sit there. I'm like a living version of that. Uh, that the meme gift, of the popcorn. The, the gif of Michael Jackson just in the movie theater with the popcorn. Just, oh, yeah. People fighting. People fighting. And I get to see it. It's two, two people with much bigger platforms than us get to butt heads over something that I think is hilarious. Oh, well, yeah. He's on Elf on Twitter at uh, Elf underscore Artiaga. It's, it's the best. Uh, Chris, I'll keep this sweet, short and sweet. The Buffalo Bills keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. This is a long podcast. I'm getting a little tired. Here, I'll keep it short, sweet, to the point. First of all, keys to victory. I need to see a bounce back game from Spencer Brown. Spencer Brown got pushed around a little bit last game, right? We talked about that. I mean, Bud Dupree's a good player. Harold Landry's a good linebacker. Tennessee has some good... I mean, we saw it against Kansas City. That's the best talent he's seen so far. That is the best talent he's seen so far. And he had an up-and-down game. He did some things well. He did some things poorly. In this game, I want to see our tackles and our offensive line command the game. You've got a defense that's on the ropes that really just doesn't have a lot going for it. And because of it, their their defensive coordinator and their head coach are kind of spinning plates, trying to figure out, what can we keep moving? Ah, this is, oh, this thing sucks. Let's go pay attention to that. And they're missing the bigger picture. This is a time for our offensive line to catch this team when it's kind of at its weakest and show to a man that they've, that they're gelling over time. And I think they can do it. I think they can, but I think it starts with Spencer Brown because if you can bookend tackle this thing, Mitch Morse hasn't given up a ton of pressure this year, right? It's usually been our guard play. But Darrell Williams gotten, has gotten better over time. So really, I don't foresee guard being a huge liability in this one. And I think if they give Josh Allen time to operate, it's going to be the unraveling of that team. Because, let's face it, Matt Ryan diced you up. The the, the the guy, I, I don't know, is how old is Matt Ryan now? I think he's our age. I think he's like 37, 36, 37. That's fucking depressing. Matt Ryan's out there throwing footballs around. I literally stood up too quickly from my office chair today and my right knee just popped. I was like, wait, what's that? Ah, is that something new? I think the second key really is going to be pressure. And I know that that's, listen, I know that I'm painting with a broad brush, so let me explain in a little more explicit detail here. The lack of chemistry Tua has built with his wide receiver core, it's a pain point for this offense. And one of their biggest hurdles when you think about them schematically, <clears throat> the best way to fracture their offense and suppress their production is going to be to consistently get pressure on Tua from the interior of the offensive line. When you do that, Think about this. When against Kansas City, the Bills forced Mahomes to a, kind of abandon his wide receiver usage. No one outside of Hiller Hardman saw more than two targets. Neither had more than 80 yards receiving. I think they scored one touchdown. The result was a Mahomes who was forced to overutilize his tight ends and running backs in the passing attack, which played to the strengths of our defense because our defensive line's length and their ability to bat balls on you know, near the line of scrimmage on short crossing routes and passes out to the flat that maybe are a little bit too dangerous. I mean, Greg Rousseau, 
that pick he has against Mahomes happens because he misjudges, hey, that guy's length to disrupt my throwing lane. I can I can throw a little pass out here into the flat. Well, you're wrong. And also, that pick, the pick six, the Micah Hyde, that happens because our safeties can crash the flats better than a lot of safeties in football. And Micah Hyde crashed the flat on a on what was essentially a swing pass to a running back that he bobbled and it got taken back to the house. We have the ability to suppress the style of play that the Miami offense has been kind of leaning on. And he's got a penchant for feeding the ball to Waddle and his running backs. And teams have caught up to that by now. So between Frazier, our safeties, and our linebackers, I'm sure they're licking their chops to the prospect of being able to sit back in coverage and just wait to bottle these guys up when he's forced to get rid of the ball quickly. And more than likely, attack the football and maybe get a turnover or two. I really don't think it's much more complicated than that. Chris, how are you worried about this game? Um, the only thing that would worry me is if something happened to one of our players on the way from the hotel to the stadium. <laughs> what? Uh, Other than that, <laughs> this should be a cakewalk. Tremaine Edmonds steps on a banana peel and just wipes out like it's Mario Kart. Yeah, or it's just somebody you know. Drives off the 190 coming from the hotel to the stadium. Or they just get lost. Yeah. We see him running across the parking lot like Mike Williams a couple years ago. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, if anybody's old enough to remember that, what a disaster. Now, I think that this is a game that's this is a, a statement game for the Bills to just be like, look, everybody's everybody's got a hot take. Everybody's got this. Everybody's got that. We're the Buffalo Bills. We win the AFC East. We're going to show you by putting these guys in a blender. And that's it. That's how you do it. You are the better football team. Hold your head up and go out there and impose your will on a team that... Because here's the thing. Like I said, some teams, when they get backed into a corner, the 0-7 Lions this weekend gave the Rams a run for their money because they were willing to say... Fuck it, we we'll throw everything we have, every trick play. Yeah, every they ran like what three trick plays? Yes, <laughs> everything we have, we will empty the clip on you, and hopefully that's enough to get a win. But that's because they have a fiery coach in Dan Campbell, who just says, "Look, I have an idea for what I want our team to be. We're going to bite kneecaps, we're going to punch throats, we're going to headbutt people, and we're going to try to win football games." And that was a Dan Campbell style game. Brian Flores is not that. Nobody knows what Brian Flores is. He's Pat. He's he's the NFL's coaching version of Pat from Saturday Night Live. Nobody knows what he is because all I see is a defensive Adam Gase who stands there and folds his arms while his defense just gets it put on him and has no answers, even though that's the reason you're here in the NFL in the first place. I expect us to not only do very well in this game, but I have a feeling I won't be rage drinking, so I'll be sober enough to take my kid on a very, very pleasant, very, very pleasant trick-or-treating spree. <laughs> Make sure you tune into next week's recap podcast to see how that turns out. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Week 8 Preview Podcast. <laughs>